as we begin, can we just stop and just take a moment and pray thanks to God? Uh, that scripture is just so rich. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let's just stop and pray. Lord, thank you that you not only created, but you sustain, and then you redeemed. And we pray this morning that we experience your redemption to the full that we can in this life, that we experience your redemption and all the goodness that you have for us, that we will not withhold what you've given us, but freely and generously give out the love and the many good things that you've given us. Lord, in this week, when we re reflect on all the things we're thankful for, we begin with you. We're thankful. We're thankful for you, lover of our souls. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. There's a powerful story of God's provision and clear direction uh, all throughout the book of Joshua, which is not our text today, but I think it's a good place to start as we reflect on generosity. Uh, one of my favorite moments in the book of Joshua, I was just reading it over the last week, is when they crossed the Jordan in Joshua chapters 3 and 4, uh, where God has shown this great provision God has led them, even when they've been unfaithful, God has taken them all the way to the edge of the promised land. They've seen God's faithfulness over and over and over, and the Jordan River's at flood stage, and God says, okay, it's now time to cross. Once you step your foot in that water, then I'll stop it upstream, and you can cross on the dry ground. Not, I'll stop the water, and then you can step in, but once you step your foot in the water, then I'll stop it, because I've been faithful you know I've been faithful, no, so now step your foot in the water and I'll stop the water. You can cross on dry ground. So they cross on dry, dry ground. They set up uh, 12 stones out of the middle of that river that God has stopped as a, as a memorial. Uh, and then they go across, they go to Gilgal, and then they go to Jericho, where God gives very specific instructions on how to conquer Jericho. It's one of the more famous stories in all the Bible. You know, six days, they walk around the thing. And then the seventh day, they get to walk around it the seven times and then shout, and then God's going to knock the walls down. It's very specific directions, and very specific directions not to take any of the devoted things. Basically, don't plunder the city, just conquer it. And then they go on to conquer the city of Ai after that, after this great victory, and they're chased out of the city, and they can't conquer Ai because somebody took some of the devoted things. They didn't follow the instructions. It's Achan is the one guy named, and nobody wants to be Achan, right? You don't want to be the one guy named in all of that chapter who did the thing that you weren't supposed to do, and then everybody suffers for it. And it points out something important to us, that you can have all that God has to offer at your disposal. The goods, the direction, everything you need and you can still be unfaithful with it that is to say you can be a good steward in a sense but you can sin in that stewardship now a couple weeks ago as we started this sermon series we also talked about the parable of the talents which i think is powerful for us to remember as well where you have the master goes away gives the uh five talents, the two talents, and the one talents, each to his servants respectively. So money, basically, is what that is. And returns back after a long period of time, and the one that had five doubled it. The one that had two doubled it. And he says, well done. I'm going to give you more responsibility. Well done, good and faithful servant. 
and the one that had only one had buried it because he was afraid to do anything with it because the master was shrewd, and he was afraid that the master would get angry if he did something incorrect with it, so he did nothing with it. And he says, you wicked servant. So we can have what God has to offer, and we can bury it as well, and it can look faithful, but actually be disobedient. You see this? We can have all that God has to offer, and we still may not do the right thing with it, is what I'm pointing out. Now, don't hear me say stewardship is bad, because it's not. Sometimes we can mask behind, or stand behind, what stewardship should be, but we're actually sinful in stewarding what God has given us. Stewardship, let's define stewardship and generosity because they go hand in hand, and if done well, they're exactly what God wants us to do. Stewardship, we've said, is the responsible use of what God has given. That's good stewardship. That's the kind we want. That's the opposite of what we see uh, from Achan. That's the opposite of what we see from the parable of the talents and the wicked servant. And then generosity is, is the extension of what we should do with what we steward. We don't give it all away, but it's to bless others with what God has asked us to steward. That is to say, we don't just bury it. We use it wisely, and we bless others as God has blessed us with it in the first place. And so we've stated that stewardship without generosity does not honor God, and generosity without stewardship squanders what God has given. Those things both have to be done responsibly and well. And so let's talk about God's generosity unleashed, because we're talking about the the work of the Spirit today, and we can see, uh, even if we look at the book of Acts, two moments that stand out uh, as God's generosity unleashed specifically on his people, the church. In Acts 20, 21, it points out very clearly that Jesus died for his church. That is, not just the individual's, all of his people gathered together worshiping him in one way, shape, or form and serving him. All of those that uh, claim Jesus Christ are by default his church, and he died for them. For the, the in a sense, the, the organic organizational element, not just the individuals. Jesus loves his people that much. And we can also see, if you go back to the beginning of Acts, something that relates very importantly to our text today, which will be from Romans 5.5, 5, we can see that the Holy Spirit from the very beginning was poured out on the church. That language is important. Poured out on the church on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. 3,000 came to know the Lord that day. The Holy Spirit was poured out in an act of great generosity of God. Now, I want to point out, last week then we ended with the idea that uh, our generosity plants the seeds for God's next work. God has given us the Holy Spirit for that to happen. And so I want to start from that point, and then we'll ask a question about it at the end as we think about what some of those next works are in our midst. Our generosity plants the seed for God's next work. You see, God has been and continues to be generous to his church to his people. To squander that, or to bury it, is to withhold that generosity, and to withhold it unnecessarily as that third servant. That is a disobedient response to God's goodness. So let's turn 
to Romans 5.5. If you're a, a guest this morning or you don't have a Bible, and if you want to use the pew Bible that you have, uh, it's on page 1057. And if you want to take the Bible, you don't have one, take it home with you. It's our gift. We want you to take it. I want us to recognize before we read the text that God's now is better than God's yesterday. And God's tomorrow is better than God's now. That's not that yesterday was bad or that God's yesterday was bad, but God is always doing something greater, and there's a greater work that God has for the end of all time. And I think that's important to recognize when we read the first major word that comes up, is that God's now is better than God's yesterday, but God's tomorrow is better than God's now. Another word for that would be hope, which is the first word we see in the text. Romans 5, verse 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hope does not put us to shame. Those are two very strong words in close proximity to each other. If hope doesn't put us to shame, I'd like to focus on the second word and ask a a little bit of what would put us to shame. What, what could put us to shame instead of hope? Shame uh, is defined, I'll use Webster's definition this week, which is adequate. It says it's a painful emotion caused by consciousness of guilt, shortcoming, or impropriety. I'll say that again. A painful emotion caused by consciousness of guilt, shortcoming, or impropriety. That is to say it has everything to do with morally what's right or wrong, and whether we did what's right or wrong, and facing the guilt if we do what's wrong, and it's really a real internal strong feeling, and not just a, oh, I feel bad, but I feel feel horrible. I feel that I'm wrong for doing this. And so, putting that in perspective, what could put us to shame? First of all, and we've covered this a little bit with our first two stories, disobedience. Everything will follow from that. Disobedience could put us to shame instead of living into the hope that we have. Another thing, a second thing, is squandering God's goodness or God's generosity, which really is disobedience, just with more words. And so if we look at how we could squander God's goodness in a real simple way, in a real sort of broad way, uh, anybody who takes what God's given us just in the sense of life and lives it outside of God's presence or away from God's presence is misusing and squandering God's goodness in a broad sense, whether they recognize that or not. God's given us the life that we have. God's given us all good things. And if we do those and don't recognize God and don't live towards God, we live away from God, simply living into our own sovereignty, then we are squandering God's goodness, plain and simple, and that's sin. So we can see that hope does not put us to shame. These two, and I'll bring in a third thing later, do put us to shame. But Paul tells us something more about living into that hope when he says the Holy Spirit has been poured into our hearts. He's poured into our hearts, God's been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And and if we look at this, uh, let's think about this in a... um, non-heart way for a moment so we can understand what Paul is saying. If you go home right now and you go into, let's say, you have a basement um, or a wall in your living room 
that's load-bearing or a pillar that's load-bearing somewhere in your house and you say, I'm tired of this pole or I'm tired of this wall, it's in the way, I'm going to take it out of the way. What's going to happen if you remove a load-bearing anything in your house? Catastrophe, right? Something is going to break at some point, whether in a major way right away or over time, or it's just not the structural integrity of the, integrity of the house will be damaged, and it could be major. So those things are there for a reason. They're important. When Paul talks about the heart, in, in the ancient world, the heart was usually, the, they understood it as the decision-making center, not simply the blood-pumping part of your body, but, but they thought of it in, in broader terms, kind of like we think of the brain and the conscience put together. That was much of how they thought of the heart. Paul, already in the book of Romans, has been using it primarily in that way, but, but really focused towards the ethical decision-maker of all of who you are. It makes the moral or ethical decisions uh, and it's load-bearing in that sense. So if you do something wrong, you're going to feel shame. You're going to feel it to your core. The integrity of who you are is threatened in some way when you, you transcend over that. And so Paul says, God's poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. How can we squander God's goodness? Another way we could do that, not simply in a general sense of just pure disobedience, but more pointedly, if we follow Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit has been poured out into our hearts, we can squander God's goodness by having the Holy Spirit and not utilizing the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's been poured into us, but we ain't doing nothing with it. It's just sitting there, dormant. And what would stop us from allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us, Paul flags one thing, and I'll just add one thing that would follow from that, the thing that Paul adds to that is suffering could stop us. Some, some hardship comes in, and it will stop us in our tracks from utilizing the power of the Holy Spirit. If you go back to Romans 5, verses 3 and 4, Paul's been talking about glorying in the hope of the glory of God, and he says in verse 3, then he turns, and he says, not only so, but we also, and this is a hard word, we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, say it with me, hope. Suffering could stop us in our tracks from utilizing the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's power. Paul says it's going to come. It's going to come. On my sabbatical this last fall, uh, one of the things I read was the works of Brother Lawrence, uh, lived in the 1600s. He was a monk who didn't wear shoes, one of those kinds of monks. Um, and he uh, suffered his whole life from a number of different conditions, worked in the kitchen his whole life, but he really wanted to, his, his work is known as the practice of the presence of God. And that was, people consulted him about how do you practice the presence of God in all times and in all ways. That was his goal. And he wrote, uh, really didn't write that much about it, but what little he wrote is very powerful. We also have 16 of his letters um, that were written that largely say the same thing 16 times, but they're all very good. Uh, so from the 11th letter, he says, writing to a, a sort of noble woman, he says, they are blessed who suffer with him, with God. I would like to be able to persuade you that God is often nearer to us in our times of sickness and infirmity 
than when we enjoy perfect health. He often allows us sicknesses of the body in order to heal those of the soul. So be consoled with the sovereign physician of souls and bodies. Now, I would disagree with Brother Lawrence on a couple things that he writes about and that he said, I never want to be without suffering. And there is a strain of that through Christian history. I don't think we need to seek suffering out. Uh, I've been living life long enough, I'm sure you have too, to know that it'll probably find you at some point. So there's no reason to seek it out. But we don't want to fear its ability to teach us. And that's what Paul's saying. So suffering could stop us, and behind that he's saying fear could also stop us from utilizing the power of the Holy Spirit. Those two things together. He says, but look at this. Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. If you suffer, but you're doing it with the right hope. If you suffer, but you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you, and God at work in you, guess what? It's not going to not hurt, but you're going to produce a different character out of that. Something new is going to be made by the power of God in you through the suffering. Don't seek it out, but don't fear it when it comes. Paul says, even with the Holy Spirit, this will be difficult. But I would suggest that that we can look at the, the third way that we could squander God's goodness is not simply that we would have the Holy Spirit and not utilize its power, but to live in fear when we have the power of the Holy Spirit. When, some, when trouble comes our way, we live in fear instead of the hope that God has for us. We live only thinking about what happened yesterday and not what God has in store tomorrow. Our hope, if you have the Holy Spirit, to live in fear is to squander God's generosity. I want to turn this uh, to a, a corporate challenge for us because through this sermon series we've been talking about different ways to live this out we had some some personal look at our own heart in the first week of the series uh, last week we talked about very specifically um, our own generosity and in investigating how that's going to be invested both both in the local church and expanding the kingdom in our our giving uh, for 2020 and one more thing uh, that that i want to discuss then is that uh, asking the question how can we plant the seeds for god's next work we have the chance to partner with the new church plant in Lincoln, Beacon Covenant. That is one way that God is expanding the territory of the kingdom here in Lincoln, and we get to be a part of that together. And so I want to I put forth before you one of the ways that we can plant the seeds for God's next work, living in hope together with Beacon Covenant and ourselves, rather than fear, and knowing that it'll ask something of us. And so uh, I've been in conversation with Pastor Kath uh, for the past couple weeks just to make sure I understand all the needs that Beacon Covenant has. Um, and I know some of you sat through some of uh, the, the sessions that have been here to understand what does it look like to be a partner church, because that's what we're called upon to be as we talk about planting the seeds for God's next work. And so here are a couple thoughts on how we can partner together to expand the, the territory of the kingdom here in Lincoln with our partner church some of you have already done this. Uh, there are two sort of categories of, of people that can help when it comes to this. One is a launch partner. Uh, and so, for instance, the prayer partner emails. I get those weekly. You can sign up for those. You can pray 
as we look at, at how we can partner together with this new covenant church in our neighborhood. Uh, some of you have already signed up for this giving just for the next 12 months to help get them going, uh, recurring gifts over the next 12 months, just as uh, NPR and K-Love ask you for that. That's what this is asking for as well, that over the next 12 months we could invest as individuals in what they're doing and in the growth of this church. And probably I would suggest that Pastor Kath would tell you this is one of the most important things all of us can do uh, is if you know somebody who would be affected by the ministry of this church or is interested, share the name. And I keep sharing names as they come up to Pastor Kath about people who might be interested in this new work that's going on. Some of you might be more interested in being part of the launch team, and this is where sometimes the fear comes into play, because we will send some people from our church to be a part of this. We know that's the case. And we don't do it with fear. We do it with hope. And we know that sometimes when people go to church plants to help, sometimes they go for the long haul. That's going to be their home church forever and ever. And sometimes they go for one or two years to help it get off the ground, and then they return back to their original home church. But we're on the same team. And so we send people uh, when they go. Maybe that's your call. It's worth praying about. And also you'll see that over the next 12 months, because uh, Beacon Covenant will launch in about 12 months, so about one year from now is the plan, they'll start having public events in 2020. And you can go to those. You can invite others to go to those. You can go together with somebody to those events. So we want to support this new work that's in our midst to plant seeds for God's next work. And that doesn't mean it takes from us. I think if we're invested in a healthy way in what God is doing, we're also going to be even more invested in what God is doing here. I think if we have that healthy approach, we will see growth happen in both places. But probably one of the biggest ways that, um, and I mentioned this the first week, and simplest ways that we as a corporate entity are being asked to contribute is that uh, all the Nebraska Covenant churches are being asked to give some money to help with the 2020 budget for both our Covenant Church here in Lincoln and the Covenant Church that's already started in Wayne, Nebraska. And we have specifically decided that we are going to give towards Beacon Covenant. We'd like to give 3000 for 2020. And 1500 of that has already been pledged as a matching grant. That means among us, we only have to raise $1,500 to meet that, and we think we can do it in the next four weeks. So that before 2020, we've sent the check. Soresco's already done it. They've given more than that. Bethlehem Covenant has already sent the check. First Covenant Omaha, a number of churches have been grappling with this and giving this or more to uh, Beacon Covenant and to uh, House of Prayer in Wayne, Nebraska. And that's what we're asking of us as well. That when it comes to the practical outworkings of what generosity looks like, we talk about what it looks like from our own hearts. We're talking about what it looks like to make sure that we take care of and are invested in our home church and in ministries that expand the kingdom, both missionaries and, and other entities that we're invested in. And then we look at this and we say, well, then how can we plant the seed for God's next work right here in Lincoln? And we have that opportunity before us. I want to invite the band to come forward, and I want to close out with a simple story. And the idea, I, I want to tie together 
sort of how generosity and stewardship work and the work of the Spirit in the midst of that. Uh, the late Eugene Peterson used to tell a story in his classes uh, about John Muir, the conservationist of the 1800s, who was especially invested in Yosemite before it was a national park and as it became a national park. He, was, he had a lot to do with that. Um, Peterson would, would say that he, would, he was teaching about spirituality and Christian spirituality to give it some definition. He would say, tell the story of John Muir out in Yosemite as he was so often, and, and Muir knew a storm was coming and wanted to experience the storm in a new and a more interesting way than he ever had, so he decided to climb a tree and experience the storm as the wind is blowing in. It's a very famous story about him. There are drawings, you can go search for them and you'll see a bunch of drawings about this online. And what Peterson points out is that when it comes to religion and spirituality, they're both good things, they're both necessary things, but religion is much like walking on the ground, and the work of spirituality, or what happens in spirituality, is much like climbing the tree. So you've got the tools and all that you need, and the roots and the foundation and the creeds and the beliefs and all that, but you're not really experiencing it until you climb the tree, and that's spirituality. And I think much the same thing is at play when it comes to stewardship and generosity. Stewardship is much like walking on the ground. It's necessary, it's important, it's absolutely essential, and God calls us to it. But generosity, we start to climb up the tree, especially if the Spirit is at work in that. And the higher you go, the more you're reliant on God and God's work, and the less control you have, but the more of the experience you're going to feel. And I think it's that way with stewardship and generosity, that at some point we need to climb the tree and experience God's work of the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, we, we have a part to play, an important role to play in generosity. But at some point, it's out of our control, the fullness of what that generosity will do. But it's going to be amazing the higher we go and the more God works through our generosity. Because God's tomorrow is better than God's today. And hope will not put us to shame. And the Spirit has been poured out in us. Let's pray. Lord, I'm grateful that the Spirit has been poured out into our hearts. As those who believe and follow your Son, Jesus Christ, you've been so generous to us. There's been a great outpouring that's happened to make us a new creation and continue to form us and make us a new creation. God, may we be uh, not simply your baptized from the inside, but you're baptized in all ways with our time, our talent, and our treasure. Those are all yours. And we recognize that you've been generous and lavished us, and we are generous towards you and towards those who still need to hear your good news, that we see your work, and we say, let us climb the tree and experience your spirit. Lord, we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.